The Adam Crowley Show. He did a couple of annoying radio e hot takey things that I wouldn't have done where he goes, Go ahead and tell me why you don't think what Tom Wilson did was illegal, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Explain what you think, and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. On ESPN Pittsburgh. Okay, tough guy. Players report to Steelers training camp tomorrow. Some members of the media I know are reporting to training camp tonight. I don't believe Jerry Dulac is in that faction. We bring him on now from the Steelers Radio Network and, of course, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Jerry, it's here, baby. Summer's over. Yeah, Adam, it is. And, you know, I'm not stupid enough to report on Tuesday, two days before they even do anything. But, uh, you know, those people who have nothing better to do or report tonight, God bless them. <laughs> Just a shot across the bow there. Jerry there you D- go. Jerry Dulac joining we us. Three, we got three weeks of it, Adam. There's not a whole lot to prove. They got a Super Bowl contending team. There's not a lot up for grabs, you know, and uh, there's not, you know, there's no hurry to find out a whole lot of nothing. We'll find out a whole lot once they start playing the games. That's not for three more weeks. Jerry, we'll get to some of the inane training camp stuff. I want to talk golf with you as well. But first, uh, your reaction to Todd Gurley getting the four-year $60 million deal with $45 million guaranteed? Well, uh, Adam, I mean, you know, you talk about setting the market. That's certainly going to do it. But the Rams are in a position where he's their entire team. And, uh, well, I mean, he's the, the focus po- focal point of their team. And, and so they're going to pay him the top dollar. Uh, that's not the case with the Steelers. You know, the Steelers have Ben Roethlisberger, who they have to pay again, and then they have Antonio Brown, and they have Le'Veon Bell. So it's a little different dynamic, um, but it certainly it certainly sets a nice uh, a pace for the market for running backs. There's no doubt about it. But uh, too late now because uh, that's not going to happen with uh, a Le'Veon Bell, and uh, it's certainly not going to happen next year after two years of the franchise tag. They're not going to all of a sudden next year, after paying him $27 million, going to sign him to a long-term deal. No, absolutely not. And I thought there was a key phrase you said there. It sets the pace for running backs. Le'Veon Bell had been asking to get paid as a playmaker. Well, now when he hits the free agent market, he doesn't have to do that anymore. He can say, hey, I want to be paid like Todd Gurley. Let me say this, uh, Adam, and I don't mean to denigrate his ability. One of the top running backs in the league, you can argue that he's the top when you average nine yards per carry behind the best, arguably the best offensive line in the league and an offense that has uh, a game-breaker such as Ben Roethlisberger and uh, Antonio Brown, red-letter guys that defensive coordinators have to prepare for. And you only have three runs longer than 20 yards, the longest of which is 27 yards. I don't exactly consider that a game-breaker. I consider that a guy who touches the ball a lot one training camp, and now he's going to miss two. Oh, it's often when he missed one. Now you miss two in a row. Adam, I can't think of any player who skipped two training camps in a row, uh, let alone skip two and have a good and have any kind of a decent season. Jerry, you mentioned before that there's not a lot that's going to be decided in this training camp. We know that they're going to be a really good football team, and uh, I agree with all of that. Uh, the defensive side, of course, is concerning. Uh, I am interested to see if it's Tyler Matikiewicz or John Bostic. I'm interested to see what they do with the safeties. Terrell Edmonds signed his contract today. He'll be there. 
what gives you hope if you're a Steelers fan about that defense? Well, I, I, um, let me let me give you the hope part, and I would say it's a young secondary uh, with some potentially decent playmakers, uh, and I and I still think their front three is pretty good. I don't think there's any question. Did they get pushed around in the Jacksonville game? And did the offensive line get out physical and pushed around in the Jacksonville playoff game? Absolutely. I'm certainly not going to defend them. Uh, Stephon Tuitt was playing with a hyperextended elbow, and uh, Javon Hargrave was playing with a bad back, and as you know, only played like 17, 19 snaps or whatever the heck it was. But regardless, they got pushed around and dominated up front, but I still think you got an all-pro in Cam Hayward. That's the strength of that team and a potentially good secondary. Their linebacker unit, one thing I learned from Bill Cower and Don Capers and Dick LeBeau, but especially from Bill Cower, is that the key to a 34 defense is you better have good linebackers and you better have two good ones on the outside. And if you look at that Steeler linebacker core, uh, at best, it's above average, and I think in, in most cases it's average. And they just don't have – I think T.J. Watt can be a nice player. I think he could be a double-digit sack guy. But uh, Bud Dupree – uh, you know, they got their fingers crossed with that guy and the two inside guys and John Bostick. They're, they're just average players. And so that's the biggest weakness on this football team. We all know when they lost Ryan Shazier, that was an irreplaceable player, the one player they can least afford to lose, and they lost them. And so all of a sudden that unit becomes uh, a very average. So I think that's, that's the, the downside. Uh, I think the thing to watch on this defense is – one, how they use Terrell Edmonds, but, but by way of saying that, what happens to Mike Hilton? Uh, one of the things they don't want to do, one, if you watch Mike Hilton, Mike Hilton lines wide as the fit, as the nickelback. They cannot line Mike Hilton tight and expect him to stop the run. And that is why they brought in Morgan Burnett and Terrell Edmonds, bigger safeties who can help do that. So I think the guy who can lose out in this whole scheme is going to be Mike Hilton, who was a nice player uh, for them in blitz situations and in some coverage. But if they want to stop the run, they can't be having Mike Hilton in as the nickel lining him wide. And so I think that's one of the things that's going to be curious to watch, uh, Adam, in camp and through the preseason, how they evolve with uh, Terrell Edmonds and what happens to Mike Hilton. One last thing for you, Jerry, before we switch over to the Open Championship. Uh, I am concerned a little bit about the Steelers' ability to throw the ball deep this year. Of course, they've got Antonio Brown, and I think Vance McDonald could be a threat down the seam. But I worry a little bit about James Washington, given his size and speed. I think he profiles as uh, more of a possession guy than a down-the-field guy. Well, let me say this. What I saw, what I know, and then what I saw of him in uh, in the spring uh, I don't have a whole lot of reservations about this guy. Uh, he, uh, he's a 5'11", 210, 15-pound guy. He's an Anquan Bolden type, but I've seen this guy elevate. Um, he was a guy who can go down the field. Is he Mark Tavis Bryant of 2015, uh, game breaker? No. Is he better than Mark Tavis Bryant last year? Absolutely. So I think James Washington, okay, maybe not right away because he's a rookie. But he has that type of body that, that adapts quickly to the NFL, more than these outside guys who are long striders and are basically one-trick ponies. I like James Washington. I think, uh, I think I'm not going to sit here and say he's another Juju because that, uh, the way Juju performed last year, nobody expected that. I think James Washington could be a nice addition to this offense. 
Jerry Dulac joining us from the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. Flipping over to the golf side of things. Uh, Jerry, I'm always going to watch the Open Championship. Uh, I watched every single day. There's nothing better than waking up in the morning, grabbing a cup of coffee and watching it. But, man, I was glued to it on Sunday. And when Tiger was walking out to 11 to tee off with the red shirt on and the uh, black pants and the black hat, I got pretty darn excited how cool is it for you, a guy who appreciates golf at an even higher level than uh, I do, certainly, to see Tiger Woods playing on a Sunday in a major contending with guys like Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy? Well, I, I think I, I, to see him in that position, one, was uh, a little surprising, but I think it's testament that, to where he has brought himself back. Is uh, Now, what happened after that, is the reason why when people say, is he back? Well, first of all, he's never going to be back to the level he enjoyed in 2000 and 2001 and 2002. That's impossible. But is he back as a, as a champion, as a major champion? Well, what you saw uh, in those last six holes, last seven holes, is the reason why he's still not there. But, I mean, where he is right now is very impressive. And, and the fact that Rory McIlroy was there, and, and, and Jordan Spieth was there, and, and Tiger took the lead, and Justin Rose was there. I mean, you're talking about uh, uh, some of the top players in the world, certainly the marquee players uh, in the world. And, and the guy who I picked to win, Francesco Molinari, ends up winning. Um, I think from my personal standpoint, I enjoyed seeing that. I'm a big Jordan Spieth guy, both, both on the course and off. Um, but I think I think the 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 average golf person loves seeing Tiger in the hunt, and for him to get back to where he is is pretty impressive. I have said all along that I do not believe he can win another major because his biggest issue the last four or five years has been his health, and and so far so good. But he has to prove that he can stay healthy, and if he stays healthy, I think he has shown that he can win again but I'm still not convinced that he could win another major. After all, Adam, it's been 12 years, uh, uh, since, uh, uh, 12 years since he's won a green jacket and 10 years now going on more than 10 years since he's won a major. So, and that goes back to even when he was healthy. So it's going to be hard for him to do that, but he has to show on Sunday in the last nine holes that you know he can be the old Tiger, and if anyone can do it, it's he, because his greatest strength always always Adam was his mental toughness. Yeah, he had all the shots, but he was so uh, he was mentally tougher by far than any other player out there. He thought of things that those other guys wouldn't even dream of and, and that's that's what also made him great. So from a mental toughness standpoint, you would think that he would be able to uh, you know kind of bring himself back. Um, but the, the aspect of him scaring other players or intimidating them that doesn't happen anymore because they all can hit it that far. They all can put, put up load numbers, and most of these young guys are fearless anyhow. Jerry, really good stuff, man. As always, I look forward to seeing you in a couple days at beautiful St. Vincent College. Well, Adam, we'll start on Thursday, and then we'll start our training camp broadcast Thursday night. I believe I'm on the docket then, and, uh, you know, I'll have about six or seven shows, and, of course, in a couple weeks they'll start playing. And, uh, you know, by the time they start playing, you'll get a better feel for this football team. No doubt about it. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, brother. Take care. There he goes, Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. I'm going to say one thing. One thing. I think Jordan Spieth did feel the pressure of Tiger Woods coming. 
on oh, Sunday. Absolutely, I do. he did. I think so too, man. I really do. I think it's really impressive that Molinari not only won, but was playing with Tiger Woods, who had a solo lead, and was able to just keep his composure and, and keep it, playing his game. He didn't make one mistake. No, not once. And you'd think that Tiger solo atop the leaderboard, he'd be like, "Oh my God, he's back. I'm done," and just fold. But he didn't. Yeah, we were talking about it yesterday, and I I have a, a hunch that it was a language barrier problem. Like somebody said Tiger, and he didn't realize Tiger was on the course. He speaks fluent Italian, so. Uh, he just kept playing like Tiger wasn't even there. He didn't know. And after the after the match, he's like, "Oh man, he was. Oh no, there's a Tiger chasing me." <laughs> he was so smooth. He did not make mistakes. Yeah, what's his name again? Molinari. Francesco Molinari. You got to roll the R. It's Molinari. Well, you got to come up with some mnemonic device because I'm never going to remember his name. Never going to remember. I'll remember somebody else beat Tiger Woods in the 2018 Open Championship. At Cornusti, but I will not remember. Just go with the Italian guy. The hell the guy's name was. Just go with the Italian guy. Luigi. That's what I'll call. <laughs> Coming up next, the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. It's a Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Axon. 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 Oh, no. Oh, it's on the nipple. Axon. 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 He went from the bottom. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. So Lewis Riddick just said on NFL Live that for big-time running backs, your pro career starts in college, and then you got to max out your first three years and get the hell out in the pros. And yeah, okay, that's a nice theory. Lewis Riddick. But if you're a guy like Le'Veon Bell and you got drafted in the second round, you can't max out in the first three years. You have to hit that second contract or else you're never going to have lived up to what you're actually worth. So, <laughs> you're wrong, man. Hey, how's that? I get Lewis Reddick on the show. In fact, I'm going to tweet back at Mike Gullick Jr. who tweeted out. What Lewis Riddick says, and I'm going to say, oh, he's wrong here if you're Le'Veon Bell. Todd Gurley's a first-round pick. Todd Gurley has a tremendous first three years in the National Football League. Really, the last two years have been uh, better than the first one. And then you can get that money. Zeke Elliott, same thing. Top five pick, go out, you get that money. And you're going to make a butt-ton on that first deal. Think about Saquon Barkley. He just got $30 million guaranteed on his first contract. Mother Blaper hasn't even played it down a National Football League ball in his life. And he's already got 30 mil. So for those guys, Lewis Riddick, it makes sense. For those guys, Lewis Riddick, you're right. But what about the other guys? What about second-round picks who overplay? Overplay their abilities that you thought that they had whenever they come out? What about Alvin Kamara? Third-round pick. What about Korean Hunt? Same thing. These guys can't just cash in and get the hell out because their value means a lot more to the team right now than what they're getting paid. Lewis Riddick is wrong. He's wrong. And me, the crowd man, I snuffed it out. I'm smarter than Lewis Riddick today, right now. I think Lewis Riddick's excellent. And he's all over their coverage now. Here's one problem with Riddick, though. Yeah, just a small one. Yeah, itty bitty tiny one. He went to pit. That's a big one. If I wasn't on the radio, I'd tell him something to eat. 
but I already proved my knowledge is far superior to his, so I don't need to resort to such things. We got Will Graves coming up in 15 minutes. And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Stephen A. Smith was calling Le'Veon Bell greedy. Now he's saying Bell was totally right. All because of this Todd Gurley contract. I'm smarter than Stephen A. too. I'm smarter than everybody on this. I've been saying the whole damn time Le'Veon Bell's going to get paid and now he's going to get paid and it's going to be a lot easier than even I thought. How about that, Stephen A.? How about that, Lewis Riddick? Yeah, you got to cash out after three years. You got to look at college as your career. Man, yeah, if you're trying not to get CTE, I get it. But Le'Veon Bell didn't want to get CTE, and he wants to get paid, and he's kind of effed. But now he ain't. If he stays healthy this year, baby, if he stays healthy this year, he's going to make $45 million guaranteed on the open market. And the Steelers were never going to pay that. And up until the girly contract, it never would have made sense for them to have paid that. The next highest paid running back was making $8.25 million. There was no reason for the Steelers to say, okay, we're going to guarantee you the first three years of your deal at 15 mil. They were never going to do it. It didn't make any sense. But now on the open market, whatever Le'Veon Bell asks for, as long as it's around $45 million, he doesn't have to say, oh, I play wide receiver and running back. He doesn't have to say, oh, I'm a playmaker, not a running back. He can just say, I'm Le'Veon Bell. I'm a running back, and I'm proud. I'm an RB, yo. And I'm proud. He doesn't have to play the whole song and dance game. He doesn't have to say to the Jets, yo, you got to pay me for my production overall, not just my production as a running back. He goes to the Jets and says, look what Todd Gurley got. I'm better than Todd Gurley. You can... If you want to, you can say maybe Gurley's better because he's younger and this, that. But you can at least agree we're on the same playing field. You can at least agree that we're on par with one another. And I think we can all agree that you're going to give me that 45 mil, Jets. I think we can all agree on that. And it's going to happen. So all you Steelers fans out there who said, well, Avion's never going to get what he wants. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yo, Crowley, but he's not going to win with the Jets. So what? Now I'll take Lewis Riddick's side. He's going to get that money, and then he can get the bleep out. How's that for a success story? He's happy today. Very happy. And he's sitting on the back of $27 million guaranteed from two years of a franchise tag. He's doing very well, thank you very much. This will be the subject of my blog tomorrow on ESPNPGH.com. I'm so good at blogging now that I'm going out of my way to promote the blog that has not even been written yet. Woo! Tom just hit the woo drop and then at the same time made the woo sound with his mouth. Woo! I said yesterday on the program, because we talked a lot about the Steelers' offense, that today on the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined, we were going to talk about the Steelers' defense and the issues that they have there. And they are many, and they are great. The Steelers are going to be a football team, I think, this year that finishes around 10-6, and 11-5, not 13-3. and three. And I've said this for a couple of weeks now because they were 8-2 and two last year in one-score games. That tends to average out. 
But one of the other reasons is if you look at what the Steelers' defense did over the first eight weeks of the season, you'd think you were looking at the 2008 Steelers' defense statistics. They were excellent until the game against the Lions when they started giving up big plays out their ass left and right. That's what they became. They then gave up 38 points to the Ravens. They gave up a bunch of points to the Green Bay Packers, Sands, Aaron Rodgers. They did a good job of slowing Tom Brady down until, oh yeah, it matters now, and we got to cover that big white Gronkowski guy, and they didn't do that. Oh yeah, and then there was the playoff game against Jacksonville. Blake Bortles against the Bills looked like me throwing the football out there. Blake Bortles against the Steelers looked like a really a really good Blake Bortles. And that's not good. That's an indictment on the Steelers' defense. And sure, they've done some things to try to shore it up this year. But why am I just going to assume that it all magically works out? Why would I think it's all going to mesh together? And why would I think that the Steelers' defense is suddenly going to jump into the top 10 and be a consistent, legitimate unit this year? The only way I could see myself doing that is if I was wearing black and gold glasses. The only way I could see myself doing that is if I was so immersed in being a Steelers fan that I couldn't see the forest through the trees. And that ain't going to happen. And I'm going to make it my mission to go to Steelers training camp and not fall into that. Because that can happen. You're there, you watch the team. Oh, look at Terrell Edmonds running around. He looks really fast when they're wearing shorts and they're not hitting each other. They're probably going to be pretty good this year. No, I ain't buying it yet. Where does he fit in? That's a pretty big question right off the start, huh? Is he going to be Sean Davis? No, Sean Davis will be Sean Davis. Okay, is Sean Davis going to be free safety? Well, we don't know yet. Okay, that's a problem. I'm sure they know, but they don't know if he can do it. For me, it's going to be Sean Davis at free safety. It's going to be Morgan Burnett at strong safety. And you're going to hope that the communication on the back end is better with Tom Bradley back there instead of Cornell Lake. But why would we expect that to be the case? Because it's hope. Because you'd be immersed. Because you would be wearing your Steelers glasses. It could happen. They could be better on the back end. But I'm not going to believe that until I absolutely see it. Joe Hayden's going to be fine on his island. Artie Burns, though, he's got the talent. He's got the length. He's got the speed. But sometimes he forgets he's playing football. And that's not a quality you want in your cornerback. I never played the game. Sometimes flag. But I don't think you want your cornerback forgetting what his responsibility is on a given play. That's just a hunch. And it happened a number of times last year. Matt Williamson comes on all the time, week after week, and says, already made a great play here, but this play, he's out to lunch. So the secondary, forgive me if I'm not going to buy in hook, line, and sinker. Terrell Edmonds, sure. He's got talent. But he wasn't projected to go where the Steelers took him. And he was a guy whose his knock in college was he wasn't the smartest type of football player. Bud Dupree wasn't the smartest type of football player. He wasn't instinctual. He kind of just ran around and was an athlete. They have that in common, a lot of these Steelers. Artie Burns, same way, a project. Sean Davis, the same way, a project. I'm not going to buy into all that. The defensive line, I feel pretty good about. Or at least I did until I saw them get run over by Jacksonville in the playoff game. Cam Hayward was an all-pro, and yet he's getting blown off the ball. Uh, Stephon Tuitt's supposed to be a very good player in this league. They're running the ball right down his throat. Javon Hargrave's not in very often, 25-30% of the time, but when he is in, he's just been okay. Uh, Tyson Alulu is just okay. The defensive front should be better than it is. And if Stefan Tuitt can take that next step and meet 
Cam Hayward at his talent level, at his production, then you've got something. But here we go again. It's another word. It's that word we keep saying over and over again. It's hope. You hope he can do that. Uh, I don't know if he can. Uh, You hope he can. So I'm not going to buy in there either. Uh, One guy I am excited about, TJ Watt. Seven sacks last year. Good in coverage. He kind of reminds me of a 4-3 outside linebacker who can go sideline to sideline. But in this system, he can work. And if he had seven sacks his rookie season, flip sides now, goes against players that aren't going to be quite as good on that right side, well, I think he will maybe have a 10-sack season. But I said maybe again. And maybe in hope, it's all really the same. You don't know. The Steelers' offense, Ben's going to be pretty good. Antonio's going to be good. Le'Veon's going to be good if the offensive line stays healthy. It's going to be good. You know these things. You don't know it about the defense. Any of the defense. And I haven't even gotten to the biggest issue on the entire team. The inside linebackers. Vince Williams, the seventh round pick, looked good next to Ryan Shazier. Because he could play downhill, and Shazier could cover up for a lot of his mistakes, and Shazier could run with people, and anybody's going to look good there. But when he got hurt and he's playing alongside guys like Sean Spence, he got exposed. Bostic's better than Sean Spence. I don't know if Matikavich is. He's better than the version of Sean Spence we saw last year, but he's another downhill run-stuffing dude. So if you've got two run-stuffers in the middle of the field, aren't you playing football like it's the 90s instead of playing football like it's 2018? I would like to see John Bostic win that position instead of Tyler Matikavich because I at least like his ability to run a little bit more. But the defense as a whole... They've got talent, enough talent where they're going to put up some good numbers against bad teams. They've got enough talent where they're not always going to outright embarrass you. But if they don't get their shiz together and in a hurry, the way that the schedule sets up in the second half of the season, if it ain't right then, it ain't going to get right. Ten wins for the Steelers this year. Uh, Before camp, I'll say. I mean, if Ben Roethlisberger's leg falls off, then I'll probably drop it a peg. Antonio Brown parks in another handicap spot and gets towed and we don't know where he winds up, then yeah, I'll probably knock it down a peg. But I don't think this is a dominant football team. I'd be happy to be wrong. And Mark Caboli just texted me, so I'm guessing he's going to point out something that I did say that was wrong. Hey, Mark! See you on Thursday. I'm going to beat your ass. Coming up next, Will Graves of the Associated Press. We'll talk to him about the Le'Veon Bell upcoming negotiations in the offseason because of the Todd Gurley contract and got to get his thoughts on the Buckos too. It's a Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Hey, I'd like to place an order for pickup, please. What's that, sir? Can I place an order for pickup, please? Everything's done at the window, sir. At the window? Yes, sir. It's fast food service. That's funny. I thought the flyer's window closed. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Todd Gurley gets his cash, $45 million guaranteed, four-year deal, 60 mil overall. Le'Veon Bell's going to get paid, people. And all of you who say he did the dumb thing, you're wrong. It's worth the gamble. Maybe he gets hurt this year. He'll still have been paid $27 million guaranteed over the last two. And he wants to get paid what he thinks he's worth. And now instead of having to argue on the open market that I'm a playmaker, pay me as a playmaker. 
He can just say, hey, pay me like Todd Gurley. Joining us now to discuss our long-lost friend from the Associated Press, he's Will Graves. Gravesy, long time no talk, pal. How you doing? What's up, bud? That's it? You doing okay? I mean, what's going on? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, for folks that don't know, my cancer came back. Uh, first cycle was not so much fun, but I am confident that that was my body adjusting some meds, and we should be good to go. Okay. I didn't mean to, like, goad you into any personal revelations or anything right. like that. Okay. Okay. You okay? We good? Yeah. I mean, like, I'll start being, uh, like I said, I always gauge my social media activity. I've been pretty low-key for a while. I'm anxious to start being back to the obnoxious jag-off. I've long been low these many years. So. Are you going to be an obnoxious jag-off at Steelers camp with me? I will. I, I promise. I promise to be an obnoxious jag-off at Steelers camp with you. Very good. Looking forward to it. Hey, Will. Le'Veon's got to be pretty happy today, huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I had the kids today. I, I saw this. I flipped on ESPN. I saw it. And then our great L.A. writer, Greg Beecham, had the story. And I'm like, before I even saw Le'Veon's tweet, I think I just tweeted, like, this absolutely just validates everything Le'Veon thinks he can get on the open market. As I have said, for a year. So, makes me look smart, too. So, happy about that. And, I mean, you can make the argument that Gurley's two years younger and so that he has, like, 800-plus less touches than Le'Veon does. He also doesn't have the looming specter of, you know, the danger of if he tests or misses a test or fails a test, what that means. I mean, so there's a little bit of wiggle room there. But, I mean, you're telling me that if he, he's on the open market in teams like the Browns or the Texans or – uh, the Raiders or whatever, if they don't have the cap space, they're not going to give them seventeen and a half, eighteen million dollars a year. They absolutely are. So, what do you I mean, say to the, the people, Will? Like, I'm sorry. What do you say to the people who say, "Yeah, but he's not going to play for a winning team"? He doesn't play. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> people don't care. Like, like I don't. I, it always baffles me how, like, these fan, fans in general. It's not Pittsburgh fan specific. They get caught up in like loyalty and whatever. I mean, let's remember when the Pens, you know, the, the, after the second cup and like, oh, let's keep, well, we get, we got to keep these guys together. Everybody that left went to go take more money somewhere else. You know? And it didn't, I mean, what happened? You know, dad went home for a year and it didn't work out and now he's coming back. I mean, Cooney went and was on a good team and had a pretty good year. I mean, what happened to Ron Hainsey? The guy, I, he's turned into a ghost, right? I mean, like, that's, that's just what happened. You go to all who offers you the most money. That's the American freaking way. I mean, that's in our the entirety of capitalism is built on go to where the money is. So, like, winning, losing, it doesn't matter. He's a board. Le'Veon, in my opinion, can make a team, can turn a, help turn a 6-10 and 10 team into a 10-6 and 6 team, at least for the next three or four years, right? So, I mean, it's. If they're losing when he gets there, doesn't mean they're going to stay losing when he is there. So I, that's the part that just kind of drives me. Or he could have Mike Wallace's career. You know, I mean, Mike got his money. Everybody remembers he turned down a contract that they offered to AB, ended up offering to AB. Mike got his money. He did. He got his money. So Le'Veon's going to get his money. Mike, is he going to have a better career than Mike Wallace? Probably. So, well, I got to just rewind for a second here. You called Kunitz Cooney. You called Colin Dad, and then you called Ron Hainsey, Ron Hainsey. So I wonder, what did Hainsey ever do to you, man? I, I can't, you know what? I mean, to me, for these defensive guys specifically, like, 
Crankshaft, like anything that came after Crankshaft was just not going to cut it. You know what I mean? So for these, these like vagabond, you know, I, I, I think I was, I never called Trevor Daly anything other than Trevor Daly. He was a really good player, right? So Ian Cole is Ian Cole. So like to me, like for the defenseman specifically, when you get these transient defensemen to come in and play, like Crankshaft was the last nickname I will abide by and everybody else is just their name. Yeah, you can't you can't ever really do better than Crankshaft. Will Graves from the Associated Press. In fact, I'm not sure I even remember that guy's name. I Doug something to think. Doug something. Wait a second. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Doug. Was it Doug? I, it I, was I, Doug. I, it was Doug. All right, we're stopping the show. Everyone, stop. Don't do anything. If you're in your car, don't look it up. We're gonna figure this out. I, Doug. I don't remember. He came from the Sharks or something. Yeah, he was huge. Yes. Douglas Murray. It was Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray. Thank you. There you go. There you go. Tom did not whisper that in my ear. But you say Crankshaft, everybody knows who you're talking about. And then you ask his name, and you're kind of like, uh. Yeah, he stunk, but his name was Crankshaft, so we all kind of just ignored it. Uh, Speaking of being ignored when they stunk, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't stink anymore, but they've kind of landed exactly where I thought they would. I thought they'd be right around 500, above or below. Uh, and I think people are getting clouded, their judgment is, by seeing them win the way that they're winning right now. But again, they've landed kind of where I thought they were always going to land. Well, I mean, they're in the part of that is because the National League has a lot of teams that are not great. Correct. Right. And, and, and I saw something, and the, the byproduct of that is there are literally 11 of the 15 teams in the National League are over 500 because the other four uh, are outside of the Nationals are pretty terrible. Right. So. I, and it's the same way in the American League. I mean, you got. I mean, teams are really bad. I mean, the Royals and the Orioles are. I mean, they're really bad. Um, so I think it sort of skewers the perspective of the Pirates. They're. I mean, they're not bad, but are they good? No. And if you're Neil Huntington and you're, you know, I, I, I look. I, I listened uh, coming home the other day after they won on Sunday, and you know on. On another station, uh, some guy called in and was like, oh, they need to go all in. And I'm like, with this group? I mean, no offense. Like, I'm, I'm, it's okay to be respectful of their resilience and root for the guys in the room while understanding management can't look at this roster and think, well, we have a World Series team here. Right? I, I do have some breaking news as it relates to the Pirates. They just tweeted this out uh, two minutes ago. P, 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 And then two minutes after that, O. And then... Two minutes after that, PP. What do you think this means? <laughs> uh, I think it probably has something to do with like their win streak or something. One, two, twelve three, out of thirteen four, or something five, like that. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. One, two. Holy crap! Maybe it does. Are you That's in an crap. Illuminati? <laughs> no. So what should they do with the deadline? I'd be okay with them getting someone with term that you could hope helps you this year. But I'm sort of okay. Like if they want to hold on to Jay Hay and and Dickerson and sort of see if they sort of luck into you know a wild card and if they can get. But the problem is, I mean, if Dickerson you know hits another couple home runs over the next week. Is this trade value going to be better higher now than it is in December? And that's what it is, Neil, and you get him for Neil two playoff time, runs. Right? Yeah, you'd get him for two playoff runs uh, as opposed to just the one. Uh, I'm inclined to uh, go to go along with that now a little bit more. 
Uh, you can always sell your assets off in the off season and still get good return if Dickerson keeps it up. And Dickerson's had a good career. If he, uh, if this is his career year and he continues playing like this, the Pirates would have no problem getting something for him in the open market. You got to get rid of a guy like Freeze and and Mercer though, because they're going to become free agents at the end of the year. But other than that, I don't think you need to sell anything off until the off season. Take one I mean, shot. I, feel, with I him. almost feel kind of bad for Neil. Like I almost feel no. kind of bad. Like I think nope. it would have been better for him. If they had sort of just continued to, you know, law whatever this thirteenth, absolutely, tricks, they're if they're five and eight, you know, and they're firmly in sell territory. Because I mean, look, people that are getting their hopes up that they're going to do something of significance to the deadline are delusional. This is just not what they do. It's not. Somebody got you got on Twitter today. You know, Jason Rollison follows me. We go back and forth. We've mentioned the fifteen team. I'm like, the fifteen team was way better than this club. Way better. I mean, they were 56 and 40 at this point. Uh, they were, and they were leading uh, the wild card at that time. And actually, they were six back of the Cardinals. And it's impressive that they got within what, what, one or two at the end yeah. or whatever. Uh, this group is more. This is last year's team, basically. I mean, and as I pointed out, they went on. They went in a 12 and two run around the All Star break. Marte came off uh, the suspension, and everybody thought, "Oh, here we go," and they did nothing. And then by the deadline, they were back to seven and a half back of the wild card. And they traded Tony Watson and got Sean Rod and uh, the, the, the dead guy from the Phillies. Um, actually, that was at the Jesus office. Christ, Roy Halladay. No, not that. Uh. Oh no! Did I just do it then? I was talking about the reliever that they ended up paying no money for, but that was. <laughs> God, uh-huh. you know, I did that on TV. Uh, and I shoot. Like, uh, somebody was asking me about like how the Peng- the Flyers could beat the Penguins after the Pens are up 2 nothing, and I said, I don't know, maybe there was a bus crash, and that was like right after the Humboldt thing, and I felt like a complete ass. I mean, and somebody on t- people on Twitter rightfully called me out on it. It was a stupid old joke that I kind of made. This is I, this I can't believe I connected I, I, faster than I did. Um, I was just talking about... Antonio Bastardo. No, it wasn't Bastardo. It was the guy... Um, they used to throw like a hundred. Corey Lytle. No, he was like he died no, he was too. Like, I can't remember who it was. Joe Blanton. Just stop guessing names, <laughs> Crowley, please. No, I think I got it with Joe. I think I got it with Joe Blanton. You can't. I mean, the fact that we can't even remember off the, you know, like we're and this guy was here a year ago, not like Crankshaft, who was here five years ago. What so. were you even talking about? I don't even remember. I don't even know. We're talking about whether they should buy us. I just don't think. Like I'm impressed with their resiliency, and it's good to see Marte and Polanco playing the way that they're playing. Um, but I just, I mean, at the beginning of the season, Neil said trading cuts. Well, the day they traded cuts and call, he said in his very Neil way, this does not affect our ability to win the World Series. Um, their projections are what? Internal projections are 79 to 82 wins, 84 wins. That's not going to be enough for the wild card in the National League. Why would you trade anything of value for your long term to get somebody to help you squeak in and then, I, I just, I mean, you cannot look at this roster and think this is one of the top six teams in the National League. And you can't think that, it's like, it's very interesting next week what's going to happen because the deadline day is next Tuesday and they play the Cubs. And I'm going to bet you, and I'll, I'll beat the game, and you can be damn sure the Cubs will go out and get what they need. They absolutely will. Probably not Roy Halladay. <laughs> Probably not Roy Halladay, but... You know, just uh, are the and the pirates. I mean, they're not going to do that. And then people are going to be mad. And I'm like, why were you? Why are you mad? This is what they do. I mean, how, how long do you have to kind of watch this happen to kind of realize that they're going to make the most financially 
pragmatic decision for them, period. And that's not Neil's call. That is Frank Coonley's call and Bob Nunn's call. Daryl Kyle? No. Dude, not the, he's not dead. He's not actually dead. He was just old. Oh. I was... He's not actually dead. Oh. Iglesias? No. And he used to be like, he used to throw a million, a hundred, when he played for the Tigers, he was really good. And then he bounced around. I can't remember. Fernando Rodney. No. <laughs> although, he's, although he, I guess he would qualify. But no. I can't remember the guy's name. He, they, and that was at the deadline. That was when they let what? Joaquin Benoit. Thank you. There you go. That's who it was. Man, I was in the arena the whole time. I was just circling it. <laughs> I was so close. I'm just going to keep saying Latin Philly guys that I can think of and see what happens. <laughs> I got to go. That was awful. You were great. I miss you. I'll see you in a couple days. See you, dude. Bye. There he goes. Will Graves, Associated Press. Ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you were so psyched. Like, that, I was... That, that, that was coming out of your mouth. That was nothing but the right answer on your own mind. <laughs> I was busy looking at Mike Gullick Jr. replying to my tweet that I was only half listening to Graves' answer. And when he said, you know, that dead Phillies guy, I said, oh, Roy Halladay. Yeah. Oh, my God, I feel terrible. You came out like a kid with the right answer in, like, third grade. You were so psyched. And then I started naming other dead players. Corey Lytle came to my mind. Wow. But but I didn't mean to say Corey Lytle. I meant to say <laughs> Joe Blanton, because Joe Blanton did pitch for the Phillies and then did come to the Pirates. I wasn't listening. That hole kept getting deeper. <laughs> yes, it did. Munson? Coming up next. The Pirates are who I thought they were. And I'm not letting him off the hook. And I'll reply to Mike Golick Jr.'s tweet. It's the Crowley Show.